Straightaway kick. Good snap. Down. Kick is on its way. That kick is long enough. High enough. And it is it's good. The kick is good. The Steelers survive in Cincinnati. How it happened, it'll take you an hour, me an hour, to tell you. So I'm going to be honest with you. I saw it. And I still don't know how it happened. Because, in fairness to me, I saw a lot on Sunday. I saw a monsoon in Chicago. I saw Patrick Mahomes throw approximately one million touchdowns. And so seeing the Steelers start the season by beating the Bengals in an absolutely stunning overtime, it kind of feels like it might have been a weird dream I had at this point. So today, we welcome back our Monday morning quarterback, Alex Smith, who uses his 16 years in the league to make all of us smarter about an NFL season that is already spiraling wildly out of control. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, September 12th, and this is ESPN Daily. Alex Smith, the last time I saw you, it was in person. We were it, we were at the happiest place on earth. That's right. As our company has has deemed it, and so do we. We were at Disneyland before the Super Bowl. Man, that seems like a long time ago, huh? <laughs> After today, especially, it feels like a very, very, very long time ago. I had forgot. I had forgot what these days feel like. You know, same. It had been like eight eight months. I had forgot what these days feel like, but. Uh, the NFL did not let us down today. No. It was, you know, it started out, I was, I'm not going to lie, like the, the first game started and first halves were, you know, you could definitely, some sloppiness. You could tell a lot of these teams don't play their players in the in the preseason and kind of working out the kinks, especially off- offensively. Yep. And then the second half of the, the first round of games was just, it was just chaos. It was absolute chaos. I mean, we had all these comebacks, multiple overtime games, crazy kicks and, Doinks and I, it, it was uh, it was unreal. It was it was a lot going on. I enjoyed every second of it. It's just something that like you know no other sport can boast this. It was it was absolutely amazing. And we'll get to all of that in a second here, I suppose, because we want to start in reverse chronological order here with you, Alex. We just watched what felt like a little bit of a come down after that day of madness with Bucks Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. And we should begin with some of the news, I guess, because as much as this was sort of like a sleepwalking experience, Jerry Jones feels like he's going to be awake for a very long time tonight. Mike McCarthy is going to be awake for a very long time tonight because the word that we've just gotten as we sat down here is that Dak Prescott needs hand surgery on his throwing hand. He hit his thumb against Shaq Barrett in this game, Alex. And your first reaction to an injury like this out reportedly for a few weeks, pending more medical results, is what? Yeah, it's it's not on it's not good for the Cowboys. I mean, this is this is already a depleted team. This is a team that typically in the offseason makes they're they're like they're they face it. They're like the Yankees of the NFL, right? They're free agent frenzies. They're constantly adding new talent and and America's team. For whatever reason this year, they decided not to. And uh they're already, you know, they let Amari Cooper go. Um, they were hoping to get Michael Gallup back. He's still out. They just lost their starting left tackle, one of the best in the game, Tyron Smith. Yep. It was very apparent tonight that that those pieces were missing. And then now to to the fixture of it all, Dak, to be missing him for a few weeks here going forward. 
I, I, I don't see how they're, you know, who knows how long, what kind of timeline it's going to be before they get him back. But uh, certainly, I think, going to be tough to overcome all this. It's a, it's a lot of adversity. You know, we coming into this week, I can't get out of my head. Just, you know, Jerry obviously talking about how, and a lot of the messaging coming out of the Cowboys, you know, what great shape Zeke was in. They were going to rely on him. I mean, that he was going to be yep. back into his old forms. And we go as Zeke goes, yep. was Jerry's yeah. quote headed into this whole thing. He went for 52 yards. So it, it's going to be tough sledding for them um, in a division that's gotten a lot better. We'll see what they're going to do. I, I, I mean, honestly, I think it's it's going to be tough. Cooper Rush coming in. You could see it today. I know they they like him a lot, but promise is one thing. When you get out there and, and the, the bullets start flying, a lot of defenses feasting on young quarterbacks, especially that are inexperienced. And you saw that tonight with the Bucks defense at the end. Yeah, yeah. And Jerry also had said entering this whole week was – you know, he has to believe that one plus one equals three. And and true to form, I suppose, they had three points tonight. Unfortunately, it was 19 to three. Tom Brady and the Bucks very capably, very calmly just, yeah, rolling to a victory here, Alex. And look, Brady, speaking of being numb to things, I mean, he became tonight the oldest quarterback to ever start a game in the history of this sport. And he's throwing bombs. He's not looking like he's in midseason form yet. Had a pretty bad interception. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about just how he looked to you as we take so much of him for granted after an offseason of, of drama and headlines. Yeah, I mean, first off, it, it was 19 to three. It very well could have been 45 to three. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, if it wasn't for some self-inflicted wounds, a couple of amazing plays by Micah Parsons, I mean, they just kept kicking a bunch of field goals that that if they plug a few of them away into the end zone, this game's not even close. To go back real quick on Dak Prescott, I mean, he had 50 yards passing at halftime. I mean, they, they, this was a Cowboys offense that has normally lit it up. I mean, they they are in, you know have been so prolific the last couple of years and were pedestrian today and couldn't get anything going against the Bucks. Yep. And then you look at the Bucks on the other side of the the ball. You know, all of us wondering. You know, they lost some pieces up front. Here he is, the ageless wonder. He's 45 years old. I, It's hard to wrap my head around that. He's the oldest starting quarterback week one in NFL history. Obviously coming off of a career year, a historic year, you know, in the record books. And, you know, were we, were we finally going to see the fall off, right? Like, was this going to be the year that he, you know, potentially taints, uh, you know, not that he could, his uh, his legacy? And, and Yes, is he pushing it too far by coming back? Yeah. Uh, no, the answer tonight was very much no. No, uh, I, what I saw is a Bucks team that in a lot of ways, I know they missed their, you know, a couple, lost a couple guys in free agency in the O-line, especially in the interior. But I mean, to get Chris Godwin back and to add a piece like Julio Jones, they've got to be the biggest group of skill position players in the history of the NFL. I mean, Leonard Fournette supposedly weighs in at 260. He was running the ball great. They ran for 150 yards themselves. And I thought that's what made them deadly tonight. They were so good in the run game. I mean, who take your pick your poison? Mike Evans singled up. Chris Godwin singled up. Julio Jones is singled up. Like I, I, I don't know how you cover all these guys. And Brady still looked in total command back there. I thought he was making great, quick decisions, getting the ball out of his hands. He was incredibly accurate down the field tonight. You know, his skill set is uh, as crazy as this sounds. Has almost gotten better. Like I, I look back and I've watched a lot of tape when he was really young in his career. I almost feel like he throws the ball better now at forty five than when he did at twenty three. <laughs> He's just so fluid and and uh, he still stays so sharp. It's incredible. It's unexplainable. But the Bucs look for real. I mean, the Bucs just absolutely dominated this game on both sides of the ball. It, again, it wasn't even as close as the score dictated. 
And Brady, he had his 11-day hiatus uh, in, in training camp. But, but That's right. You know, besides the one goofy pick he threw, I thought he looked like he was in total command. Yeah, yeah. Alex, because how, how old are you right now? Just to get the accounting <laughs> in order here. <laughs> I'm 38, Pablo. Mm, okay. 38. So just for the record here, Tom Brady, 45. It's, it's so embarrassing. Throwing heat better than he ever has. You, 38, talking to me. Yep, and yelling at my kids from the sideline, Pablo. <laughs> <laughs> sad, so sad. No, no, Alex, after the break, we're going to show why it is that all of this, all of this work is worth it because we had a whole rest of a football circus to watch and... I want to I wanna talk about that with you in just a second. Can't wait. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs of real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Alex, we get out to L.A. where the Raiders lost to the Chargers 24-19 in the first, like, real... Group of death showcase, I feel like. This is the AFC West. There's been all this chatter, Devontae Adams coming into Vegas, changing everything. But the figure that I am now just re-obsessed by, and we were texting about him earlier today, is Justin Herbert, right? The quarterback of the Chargers. And he threw his third touchdown to Gerald Everett, the tight end. And that play. Herbert shotgun. Takes the handoff to Kelly. Now running to his left, throwing to his left, trying to thread it. He's got a man caught into the end zone. Touchdown, Chargers. What did that play look like to you as you were watching it? Uh, first off, I mean, I can't, I can't believe you said it. I literally have written in my notes right here, group of death. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I think of uh, the AFC West. Yes, that's the scouting report now. It's gotten a ton of attention this offseason, and it was amazing to see a division battle right off the bat. But this just in, Pablo, Justin Herbert is good. Um, the, <laughs> the, the plays, the touchdown pass you're talking about, when he's, he's moving to his left, obviously as a right-handed passer, is unnatural. And on top of this, he has a defender kind of bearing down on him, so he's also retreating. So, he, I mean, he's moving to his left and backing up at the same time right. and fires a dart to his tight end, who's really well covered. And it's a perfect back shoulder pass. Uh, they, I mean, almost like one of those passes that the receiver has no choice but to catch it and, and stumbles in the end zone. And Justin Herbert, I mean, at this point, 
I mean, he makes these plays that, again, the degree of difficulty is is off the charts. And he he continues to make them look routine. It's like he's he's almost like half asleep out there sometimes when he does these, you know, like he's emotionless. And he just is, it's like, uh, it, he really is right where he left off last year and, and uh, just making some absurd plays and, and uh, a bunch of them in the second half without his best receiver, Keenan Allen, out for most of the second half. Yeah, left the game in the first half with his hamstring injury, Keenan Allen, his top receiver. Yep. And, uh, you know, th- these were the two teams that, should have tied, you know, in week 18 last year to go to the playoffs. And and the Chargers, this entire division making a lot of moves in the offseason, but the Chargers, couple moves, getting Khalil Mack in, obviously a huge signing with J.C. Jackson, who didn't play either. But Khalil Mack playing against his former team, three huge sacks, including the icer uh, at the end. And I thought for me, that was the huge glaring difference. The Raiders, obviously the huge trade getting Devontae Adams. They are about as good as it gets from a skilled position perspective, but you know, remains to be seen up front, the O&D lines in the trenches, how good they are. And I thought that was the difference of today's game. Uh, the Chargers defensive line was absolutely dominant. I think they had six sacks altogether, ran the ball really well when they had to, again, to seal off the game on offense, uh, getting first downs to let the clock run out. So I, I really thought that was the difference in a division, again, that's fully loaded, but Chargers getting it done up front when it mattered most. Yeah, no, the Chargers defense, in fairness to the Raiders, is really, really good too. And and that's important to establish. But the Justin Herbert difference, Alex, right? Because he's throwing these touchdowns, three of them, to Gerald Everett and to Xander Horvath, his fullback, and to DeAndre Carter, his receiver. I didn't know any of those guys by name until today. I'll be fully transparent with you. But in terms of the difference in him mechanically, like his superpower, if you're to assess one, because we've raved about Josh Allen, raved yeah. about Mahomes, all of these guys, what makes him so special? I don't, first off, I don't, I don't think Justin Herbert cares who he's throwing to. Like, I mean, I, you know, they read off those names. I don't, I don't think he really even cares who's out there. Like, there's a bit of a Joe Burrow, it's not emotionless, it's just so cool and calm and collected and he's so unaffected by all the other things going on around him and i think justin herbert has that quality from a physical trait standpoint on the same line this is a kid that can for especially for such a young player stand in there and take hits and then the same thing remain unaffected by him you know we've talked about this a lot last year that it hits hits have tolls you get hit you hit the quarterback it just it has this this toll and when you get into the fourth quarter you usually see the result of that, right? You see bad decision-making, hurried passes. Uh, Justin Herbert's a guy that just doesn't have that. He stands in there. He takes hits. He's obviously an extremely big physical kid uh, and just has a ton of tools. I mean, he's he's so strong. He's so gifted with his leg and then just has an absolute cannon on his arm. And, and you combine that with good decision-making. Um, I mean, today it was such a clean sheet for him. I mean, it was like a hum-ho, three touchdowns, 300 yards, no picks, you know. Um, and if he keeps playing like this, I, I, I think uh, – they got a great chance coming out of this group. He's got a bit of a, you know, from a pure arm standpoint, it's a bit of the rookie of the year thing, right? Like he's just, it's just <laughs> like there's a, like fr- a howitzer up yeah, here. A freak arm. aspect to this. Yeah, it just, uh, the ball just comes off differently for him uh, with so much velocity. Those are things that a lot of time I think are, are more apparent in person. But for him, even on TV, you can see it just jump off his hand. Obviously, he's, he's extremely, extremely talented and, in a league right now that is just flowing with ridiculous young QB talent, I, I, he's certainly right up there at the top of the list. So the other guy who is typically at the top of this list, historically, 
in the NFL is Aaron Rodgers. And now we get to this Vikings-Packers game, Alex, because you and Aaron Rodgers, look, you got drafted together in the same year. That's a whole storyline we've covered on this podcast. Everybody's talked about it before. But the version of Aaron Rodgers now, post-Ayahuasca, in Minnesota, losing to the Vikings 23-7. to You know, he loses Devontae Adams, who we just talked about in Vegas now. What do you see out of Rodgers? What did you see out of Rodgers in this game? Besides his new haircut? Um, <laughs> it's a slick haircut. You gotta say. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I again, I thought this was, I kind of had this starred the last couple of weeks as we were heading into opening day. I mean, I think, I think first off in this division, this is a division that Aaron has owned for the last 18 years. Essentially, it has really been uncompetitive, especially in the last 10 to 12. Um, yeah. And I think if there is- on tape saying this to opposing yeah. fans in this division, I own you. Yeah. And if you just look at the division- the Bears are in a complete rebuild. Uh, the Lions were the worst team in football again. Uh, if there's one team that has a chance at dethroning them, it's the Vikings. And they obviously a huge regime change. Uh, my good friend Kevin O'Connell coming in and making his debut. A lot of unknowns there. And I think that was kind of the difference. Now, to be fair to Aaron, he's missing both his starting tackles. His starting, obviously, best receiver from last year, Devontae Adams, is now playing for the Raiders. But Alan Lazard, I mean, the guy they think they were looking to to kind of step up and fill that void is also out. So certainly he didn't have all his weapons and was was really overmatched, especially up front. I haven't seen Aaron take hits like this. This was the first game in a long time. I mean, he's typically a guy that stays pretty clean. And even in the pocket, he always has such a great knack at the last minute of just kind of always avoiding a clean hit. And that, that was not the case today. He took a couple shots that, that again, I have not seen uh, him take in a long time. And for a guy to be entering his 18th year, obviously, that, that you know, uh, I think that's something they need to get fixed and, and quickly. But, yeah, they just were too much. And, and on the other side, the Vikings, I mean, again, to, to shout out. Well, Alex, we got to talk about the guy you're about to shout out. Because Kevin O'Connell, this is, this is our crack research staff, informing me that you guys have known each other for how long now, going back to high school? So Kevin, yeah, when, when we were in high school, Kevin was from North County, San Diego, and I was like, I was an East County kid. And that San Diego is obviously kind of broken up into that. And so he was the big QB up in the North County, and he was the, obviously the kind of the other name uh, out there. And we were kind of the two guys. And we never, never got to play against each other in uh, in high school in the playoffs. We just never got seated against each other. But then, coincidentally enough, I go to Utah. He goes to San Diego State. We play against each other three years in college. Uh, then go on to, you know, obviously both fortunate enough to go on and play in the NFL. I see him over the years. He then coaches me at Washington. You know, he's, he's jumped into coaching at this point. He's my quarterback coach and then my offensive coordinator. Uh, and he and I are just in, incredibly, incredibly close. I, I think a ton of him. And, and here he is. He goes on to the Rams. He gets a Super Bowl last year as the offensive coordinator, and he gets his shot. He's the you know the second youngest head coach I think in in all of football. And uh, you know, excited for him. But they just you just never know. You never know until you get in these. And for me, I think the thing I can say the most about Kevin is he's incredibly, incredibly smart. Um, you know, and I think that's something you have to have to be a head coach. But also with that, he, I think he's a great leader. This is a guy that brings so much energy and positivity. And so, Pablo, my, like my experience in the NFL, you kind of have two kinds of coaches. You kind of have the don't do this, don't do that, like glass half empty coaches, right? That like are constantly like, don't turn the ball over. Don't, don't, don't do this. Don't do that. And it, it just breeds a lot of like fear of making mistakes. And I've lived a, and this is. You're afraid of dad getting mad at you. Yeah. And believe it or not, this is like the vast majority of the NFL. Like most coaches kind of abide by this rule. It's like, uh, 
not actually helping me back there, you know, do my job. Jim Harbaugh. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Something just came uh, out of my throat. Apologize. But uh, but Kevin couldn't be more the opposite. I mean, this guy is so detailed, so positive, constantly out there to make the play. Uh, I think he just breeds confidence in his players. And I think we saw that today. I mean, Kirk Cousins was surgical. The other note is this is an offense that he's running basically the exact same offense or a version of it that Kirk Cousins ran in Washington, right? With Sean McVay, with Kyle Shanahan. Obviously, Kevin O'Connell coming from, from L.A. with Sean. So Kirk looked really, really at home. Uh, methodical back there, and and then Justin Jefferson, man. So so we have to we have to just save a, a independent question about Justin Jefferson for this moment because have you talked to Kevin about what it's like to have a Justin Jefferson on your team, a guy who happens to I don't know have 158 yards and two touchdowns in the first half of Week One of this NFL season. I mean, I, I I know I've talked to Kevin multiple times this offseason and how excited he was for obviously they got a ton. They have a lot of offensive firepower, but to have a kid that young and special that I think also I think this needs to be said, like Justin has, has really handled the mental load. You can see how much they move him around. And in that offense, there there's a lot to it in the slot, playing outside, doing a lot of the choice routes, also doing a lot of the deep overs that you saw out there that are kind of the signature of that offense, the hard play action pass, hitting the deep crosses. Justin, I mean, for again, his first year in the system seemed uh, it didn't it didn't look like it today. So um, I know they're extremely excited and it'll fun. It was baffling to see how open he got today. I'm I'm sure here going forward, based off the numbers he put up, that that won't be the case. Um, yeah, does that feel like design to you? As much as you want to credit Kevin, or is that also just the Packers defense missing it on a number of occasions? Probably both. You know, this is week one, Pablo. This is the week to overreact to everything. Um, you know, that's right. Uh, I think there were definitely uh, more kinks. Listen, the Packers, we, we saw this a year ago, got absolutely steamrolled by the Saints. This one, I think a little different in the sense, going back again to it, it being a division opponent. And I think the one division opponent that has a chance to to try and knock them off. So uh, we'll see if they can, you know, the Packers, that is, get healthy and rebound. I'm sure they will. Obviously, Aaron is still the two-time reigning MVP. And, and I think Matt LaFleur is a really, really obviously gifted coach, and I think they'll get them back on track. But this was a bit of a statement win for the Vikings here and what they're trying to do, and obviously a huge win for Kevin, uh, trying to build a culture, and, and it doesn't it doesn't get much better start than it did uh, today. So what you're saying is that as much as Aaron Rodgers historically is also said to everybody after losses like this, you know, R-E-L-A-X. Five letters here just for everybody out there in Packerland and yourself today. R-E-L-A-X. X. Chill out, relax. I'm still me. I'm him. You're also suggesting that because of the way that Kevin O'Connell might be different than his predecessor, Mike Zimmer, who I think of as a paternalistic figure, you're saying that Kirk Cousins also a little bit can relax in terms of throwing to a third-year guy like Justin Jefferson, working within a locker room that maybe feels just different. Pablo, I can't tell you how different my career was playing for a defensive head coach and then playing for an offensive head coach. Mm. Uh, as a quarterback, it's night and day. And I think, uh, not to dive deep into this, but yeah, uh, Mike Zimmer is, is an no, old school. He is an, he is an old school, hard coach to play for, especially as a quarterback, uh, going back to Parcells, that whole kind of coaching tree. And let me tell you this, uh, having Kevin in your ear, uh, calling plays in, again, nothing but juice and positivity, uh, I think it, you, you could see it. You could see it reflected today in, in the way Kirk played and that way that whole offense and um, the kind of energy they brought. 
so again, remains to be seen if they can keep it rolling, but obviously off to a great start. We do, I think, have to mention the very first play of the Packers offense. Vikings send pressure. Rodgers unloads a deep ball, incomplete, right through the hands of the rookie Christian Watson, who burned Patrick Peterson on that far sideline. That should have been a touchdown. That should have been a touchdown. And if you see the face of Aaron Rodgers, he looks in disgust. I mean, all this talk about receivers and drop balls and misassignments and... Ugh. Uh, I know the young guys messing up was this theme that Rodgers had harped on. And then you don't want to be that young receiver. Uh, you don't want to be yelled at by that guy either. I mean, first play of the season, you drop an 80 yard touchdown uh, right in the bread basket. So it didn't get any better for Aaron, but we'll, we'll see if they can turn it around. All right, Alex, we will both have a moment to relax here for a second. And then after the break, the Steelers and the Bengals and a game that went nothing like how I thought it would. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So Steelers at Bengals and the insanity. Like, this is where you realize, oh, this, this, this whole day is, is just f Like, nothing <laughs> that we expected to go as we expected is going to go that way. And we should just sit down and just be open to what the universe has given us. And so, Alex, when the Bengals, I mean, just to walk through, like, what happened at the end, Jamar Chase's toe being out of bounds in the end zone, Joe Burrow overthrowing a couple of balls, seemingly like a thousand attempts until Jamar Chase hangs on to that touchdown to tie the game, only for the game-winning extra point. Were you ready for the extra point? Was any part of you ready for the extra point to get blocked? I wasn't until the announcer started reminding the viewers that the snapper was out. So the backup tight end who every team has a backup snapper and, you know, quarterbacks would always go out early for practice. And that's oftentimes when special teams is taking place. And like in Kansas city, for example, it's Travis Kelsey. And so he's the backup snapper who actually is pretty gifted, but it's still really comical to see these guys go out and snap at the beginning. Cause they're kind of goofing off and it looks horrible. And like, I mean, you're talking, the snap kick hold is such a precision thing. And those three guys, the snapper, yes. the punter, who's always almost always the holder and the kicker, like 
they are so detailed in this and they have this weird quirky relationship because they're not really football players, but they're wear pads and, <laughs> you know, and, and then if you just take one of them out, it just completely disrupts the entire thing. Right. The Jenga tower begins to collapse. And now throw in a backup tight end who's snapping this thing and he knows it. He's sweating. It's one of those things. It's a position where like, you're only going to get called out when it goes bad. And, uh, and it was, it was a bad, you know, bad snap, kick, hold. Ball is down. The kick is on. The, it's oh, blocked. Kick is Minka. blocked. Minka Fitzpatrick blocked the kick. And we have a tie game with two seconds left. And Minka Fitzpatrick. Dude. Ends up <laughs> making the play who had his name called so often today for great plays and all over this once the announcer said that i thought well here we go this i mean anything could happen well no anything basically did end up happening so we go to overtime we get two more missed field goals including i think the most echoey haunting doink that i can recall by the pittsburgh steelers boswell I don't remember a doink that solid from 55 yards. That thing was in the air for a long time and hit it so square. It was like a marching band drum was just struck. Yeah. And you figure like, this is not going to go the way that the Steelers, who had led the whole way, we'll get to the defense in a second, but had led the whole way. You figure, okay, now this is, this is, this is the universe saying not so fast. But when you are seeing all of this happen and the Steelers finally kick the game winner. What is going through your mind as a guy who played in these games? Like, what's the psychology of the sideline like at this point? You know, uh, obviously, this uh, this is a division that I've never played in. I don't have a dog in this fight, you know. But by the end of this game, like, I found myself compelled to root for the Steelers. Like, they, had, the Bengals had absolutely no business being in this game. I mean, <laughs> Joe Burrow threw four picks. I mean, the first play of the game for the Bengals was a five-yard sack. The next play, he threw a pick six to Minka Fitzpatrick. It just, the entire first half was the same way. I mean, there were four interceptions and a fumble. Like, it was just dominant. bad. Dominant, dominant uh, performance by the Steelers' defense. You couldn't. T.J. Watt, I mean, tackle for loss. The one play, the very next play, jumping up and picking a ball out of the air. Like, it, like they were just making plays all over the place. I was really, you know, found myself obviously pulling for Mr. Trubisky, too. Here he is getting a second chance. And uh, seeing what he's going to do with it. And I actually thought he played really well in the first half. And somehow, I mean, this was kind of the Bengals. This is what they do. Joe Burrow just, un, again, unaffected by the five turnovers. <laughs> and in the second half, started putting together. And, and the Steelers' offense uh, didn't answer a lot of questions. I think they had 50 yards offense in the second half and couldn't get anything going. And Correct. Certainly had chances to really seal this game off. And it really had echoes, honestly, of, of what we've seen out of the Steelers the last couple of years. Obviously, the the twilight of Ben Roethlisberger's careers where like this offensively, they just, they couldn't run the ball. They didn't really, right. they didn't really have an identity. And then Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, you know, kind of got cooking in the second half and uh, threw a couple of touchdowns. And all of a sudden, yeah, here on the game winner, which that play, Jamar Chase has no business catching that ball. One last gasp for the Bengals. He gets the snap. He's back, fires for the end zone and it's caught. And that's a touchdown to Jamar Chase. No, can you explain can you exp explain what you saw there? Because it seemed like everybody assumed that Jamar Chase was going to get a shot at this, but how it happened is far more impressive. Yeah, so it's it was typical on both sides of the ball, right? The Bengals lined up in a three-by-one set, so they had uh, Jamar Chase in the boundary, 
by himself, which really a lot of times kind of dictates the, you know, the defense, what to do. And this, this is this common goal line defense, uh, that's been around in the, especially in the last few years, become really, really popular down in these situations. And essentially what you do is, is you're, you're kind of playing man and then you split. So Minka Fitzpatrick is the weak side free safety. He's to the side where Jamar Chase is and he's the help for the corner. So the corner, he knows he has help inside. I mean, any in-breaking route, Minka Fitzpatrick's sitting right there. I mean, you're at the six-yard line. Like, the corner's responsibility is really anything vertical, which, again, you're at the six, so it's nothing's there. But, like, really to stop that, to stop a quick out and a fade. That's the, all you're playing. And mm-hmm. he's kind of playing off and inside. And Jamar Chase gets a free run at this quick out route, which they had already thrown on the other side of the field the drive before and hit. Yes, I can only imagine in the defensive meeting rooms when they watch this tape what Mike Tomlin has to say because, <laughs> I mean, the corner's full responsibility is just to take away this route, but obviously Jamar Chase, it's easier said than done. And he wins on the out route. Joe Burrow puts it right on the money, and, and there it is, the uh, game-tying touchdown. And obviously you just need the extra point, which we obviously discussed, uh, that debacle. Uh, but uh, the Bengals obviously found a way to get it done, and it looked like they were going to steal this game when they had, again, no business uh, even being there. So we go now to Chicago, and I hate to bring you to Chicago because this game, <laughs> this game, if, if, if the previous game was a figurative mess, this was a literal one. I mean, this is Trey Lance's debut as the starter of your former team, yep. the Niners. And there's all this chaos there, which we can address in a second, but just the rain, the backsplash, the towels that got penalized in an attempt to clean up said rain, all of it just making it impossible to see anything really on the broadcast from television as of, you know, late in the fourth quarter. I mean, as somebody who's played in the elements before, how extreme was this? How do you explain what it's like to be in it like that? Yeah, it it was pretty extreme. I mean, pregame, pregame of this game, it was a monsoon. I mean, just absolutely coming down. And then (laughs) I always hated this because when you actually watch the first half of the game, it wasn't even really raining. Like it was kind of a little drizzle, but it didn't matter because the teams still do warm up in the monsoon. Um, so you're soaked. Like the field's soaked, you're soaked. Uh, I always wondered as a quarterback, I'm like, why are we going out here in this? Like it's not really productive. But, you know, for everybody else on the field, the other 21 positions, you know, a lot of times you're kind of reduced to being a kid. There's like a there's even some fun in this kind of atmosphere, especially for defensive players. But when you're a quarterback who's handling the ball every single play, I mean, it's brutal. Like just taking a snap and handing the ball off, like the most basic NFL play for a quarterback uh, is just, it it comes with a ton of anxiety. It's just grueling every single play, let alone when you get in these situations where it's like, hey, it's third and nine and we got to throw. And what that's like dropping back, trying to throw one of these footballs that's been completely waterlogged and, splashing around in the mud all game. Right. You know, I the Bears in the first half looked absolutely they looked you couldn't look worse. And I and I know the game was wet, but they they didn't there wasn't a lot of confidence there going into halftime. I mean, I, I think Justin No, shut out in the first half, yeah, by the way, Just, the Bears. Justin Fields was 3 of 9 for 19 yards in a pick. Like it was and the pick was really bad. And actually, you know, if you think there's a team that's kind of built for the this kind of game, it's kind of the Niners. Debo Samuel, they got this extra running back. Kyle Shanahan is an uh, absolute genius of the run game. They now got their young quarterback, Trey Lance, who, when you're not throwing it, can run. And they kind of showed that in the first half. They moved the ball pretty consistently and just 
kept kicking themselves in the foot, like couldn't finish any of these things. Debo Samuel fumbles at like their Chicago 12 and they don't get points. And like they had a bunch of penalties all day that kind of continued to hamper them when they mattered the most. And so they come into halftime and I, I, they're up 7-0 somehow. And they've really dominated the football game. And I think if you're a Chicago fan, this is kind of what you're hoping for. Just like, can we stay close somehow to, in this football game? And the elements kind of helped us. And then it couldn't have been more different in the second half. Justin Fields, I think, finally said enough of this. You know, they they the Bears had tried to, I think, run a semblance of a real NFL offense in the first half, you know, trying to get the run game started <laughs> and run some bootleg and drop back. And it was just like very apparent that the Bears offensive line was no match for the Niners D-line. And Justin Fields really had no chance. And uh in the second half, it was really nice to see him just kind of play ball. And he made a couple plays uh they really changed the difference. They had coming out of half, they had two uh, touchdown drives uh, to start the, the third quarter. And the one that really changed the momentum was just absurd on like a third and nine, he drops back. And it's almost like he's just kind of sitting there for a second, like dangling the carrot for these defensive ends, you know, mm-hmm. Nick Bosa to come and get him. Stunt picked oh, up it. up front, Eric Armstead being shoved out of the way, circling out of it, pivoting to set up a throw. Wide open near side, pass is caught. There's Pettis to the 20, to the 15, to the 10, to the end zone! 51 yards on that touchdown pass to a guy who wound up being, yeah, just butt naked open. Yeah, and at this point, the Bears, I I think, literally on offense, had had, had one good offensive play, and they're back in the game. I think at that point, it was 10-7, you know? And and just like that, the game changed. It was really nice to see Justin Fields battle through, I mean, because it was ugly. Oh, we talked about it all last year, Alex, like how it felt to be a guy getting sacked all the time on a losing team and what it does to your development. And when we went into this game, Justin Fields was, again, to be very honest, not at all the name I would expect to be praising in the way that we are. I thought we were going to have this conversation about Trey Lance. And so what did you see? I mean, like Fields surprising and impressive in this win, Trey Lance in the loss. And again, we're talking now, about a 19 to 10 loss to a team that everybody favored you to beat. What, what did you see? I mean, he threw a pick at one point that was mystifying. And I'm curious if you could explain what you saw on that one at the very least. Yeah, it was, that was hard. I mean, I think that's the one he's going to watch on film uh, tomorrow. And just, it's, that's the one he's going to, he's not going to sleep tonight because he's just going to be replaying that play in his head over and over and over again. Three receivers, good takeoff by the yeah. Bears front. Lance throws, oh! oh, picked off Eddie Jackson's got it. Up with it at the 40, 35, 30. Eddie Jackson inside the 25-yard line and down near the 22. There's 10 minutes left in the game. And at this point, the Niners are down. 13 to 10. So it's a one score game, a field goal game, which is a huge difference when you're playing in a monsoon. Like we don't have to score a touchdown, right? I mean, if we just get in field goal range, they got a great kicker and Robbie gold. Like we got a chance and third and five, they're playing man to man. And Eddie Jackson, they're showing like a too high free safety. So it looks like there's two deep free safeties. Well, at the snap, one of them's going to drop down kind of into linebacker level. And that's Eddie Jackson. The other one's going to drop into center field. And Eddie Jackson's whole responsibility is kind of just read the quarterback's eyes. And he's going to rob anything in there. And uh, and he did. Trey looks over to his left and really doesn't hold him at all and kind of goes immediately over to the left, trying to throw a little quick slant. Um, and Eddie breaks on it. And that was, that was really the play that ended the game. 
you know, he picks it, returns it down into to San Francisco territory. The Bears then seal off, I think, another touchdown at that point and miss the extra point, but they make it 19 to 10 and it's a two score game. But if you go back and rewind for Trey Lance, I mean, obviously a lot to learn from there in that scenario, but an incompletion is not the end of the world. There's 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. You're going to get the ball back probably two to three times. And I think I can remember it so well as a young QB that you just press too soon. Um, I mean, how many of these games today came down to last minute drives, right? And it's a matter of being patient. And, and sometimes there they had kind of lost momentum. Uh, it was the first time they were trailing in the game. And then and, and you saw him press. You saw him press and make a mistake that, that, that really magnified, obviously, the entire game and changed it. And it's the one we end up talking about, right, the, today. This is the one we're discussing. And it's funny, on that end, I can remember sitting back and in your head, you think it's the time to make the play and you, you just couldn't be more wrong that you there's there's still much there's so much game left I, i'm curious at, at the very end here i am curious about this right there's a lot of game left for for trey lance there's a lot of season left for everybody as week one felt like a a giant slip and slide for everybody involved right and so yeah after a day like this and by the way shout out also to the giants for somehow upsetting the titans the panthers for beating the browns all of this crazy that happened today who did impress you the most? What are you taking away from a day like today with confidence about who actually seems like they're for real? Yeah, you know, all off season, we, we've had to fill the waves with talk and, uh, you know, who is the best and, and in a day and age where Madden ratings come out and all this talk about who is the best quarterback. Um, you know, a bunch of receivers, high profile receivers, really prolific kind of changing arenas and dissing their old quarterbacks and, uh, you know, trying to pump up their new ones, but make no mistake about it, Pablo. The best quarterback in the NFL is Patrick Mahomes. He made that known today and Travis Kelsey, I think not only is the best tight end, but he's on the short list of best receivers as well for what he has done and continuing to do. And, and, uh, you know, they were missing the cheetah um, and it didn't it it didn't slow them down at all. They rolled. No, and I, I think it was a bit of a statement uh, by Patrick uh, to kind of put the entire league on notice that uh, don't don't sleep on him. Yeah. Alex Smith, it is unfortunately time to sleep, though. And so we will let you go. I have a feeling that we'll be talking about your Kansas City Chiefs a lot this season. And I look forward to continuing it on with you. Yeah, I can't wait, Pablo. I'm Pablo Torre, and this has been ESPN Daily, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.